All right, well, good morning, everybody. I should uh, have brought my party hat because I am getting pretty excited about next Sunday and our opportunity to be able to all be together, whoever, whosoever will may come. How about that? And uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a good time together with, with whatever we can do. Uh, let's just be praying about that, really. Let's be praying that there'll be nothing to hinder our ability to do that. And uh, like in anything, I try and encourage people always, whatever's going on in life, it's just another opportunity to trust the Lord. So let's trust the Lord, let's be full of faith, and let's move forward um, as you feel comfortable before the Lord. Um, I think Matt made it very clear. So man, I'm just excited. We're just, I love the 10 of you that we're together here, but let me tell you, I'm excited for that to be, you know, multiplied by many more. And uh, so anyway, okay, we are continuing today a study that we began last week. And so a lot of you have watched and, and we got a lot of good feedback. A lot of people really appreciated the fact that uh, we talked about the rapture and the potential for the rapture coming very soon, even maybe this year. And people have been saying that for years, I know that, but uh, there are some circumstances going on in the world in the last generation that have made it fairly clear that um, we indeed are right at the door of the very end. And so last week, if I, I, I have some things written on the board over here again, and, and you can glance at that. Some of it I have it pre-drawn out. But just as a point of review, last week we saw that in Isaiah 45, the Bible says that God's going to declare the end from the beginning. And so we go back to the beginning, we go back to Genesis, and we see that God created everything in six literal 24-hour days, and on the seventh day he rested and then we saw in 2 Peter chapter 3 that a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And we started laying that out and, and we realized that man has 6,000 years on this planet and the seventh day, that millennial day, the day of the Lord, 1,000 year kingdom is considered a time of rest. Why? Because the devil is bound, right? He's in the bottomless pit. Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem. Man, I can't wait for that day. And uh, I'm excited for next Sunday, but not as much as I'm excited about that day. And, uh, and then we saw that there's a break. When, when you have seven, it's, it's always going to be broken up with four and three. And after that fourth day, we saw even in the uh, account of Genesis that life appeared on day number five, first mention of the word life. And we understand that Jesus is the life. He's the resurrection and the life, and he's the life that was manifested. And Jesus Christ shows up after four days, actually doing the chronology of the Bible, going backwards, the ages of the people and the children that they had. We find that Adam and Eve were created about 4,000 years B.C. So the chronology works out. And then we took some time and we looked, counting from Jesus Christ coming forward, there's two days or 2,000 years for the church age. And then the third day is that millennial day. When we got into that then, we exploded the view into a timeline similar to this. We're going to look at some of these details later. Uh, but we jumped in saying that there was a big event that happened in 1948. And that that was when Israel officially became a nation again. It was actually May 14th, 1948. And we looked in Psalms 90 and we saw that a generation is defined in the Bible as between 70 and 80 years. And so if the maximum extreme of a generation defined by the Bible is 80 years, then we spent some time last week talking about the possibility that the very end, and the reference would have been to the actual second coming of Jesus Christ, could have a hard stop date. I know I wrote this on the board. I don't know if the camera's picking it up well enough for you to see. 2028 as a potential hard stop 
for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I put it with a question mark because we don't know for sure, but man, it sure seems to be pointing that way, doesn't it? And then you have to subtract the tribulation and when could the rapture be? And typically we think the tribulation is seven years, so we thought that could be 2021. We looked at some calendar differences and we thought, man, it could be 2020. And so these are the things that we looked at last time and we're going to build on this now going forward because today what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to zoom in a little closer talking about the actual tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period, as you see, that time between the rapture and the second coming, that's, that's what we're going we're gonna to zero in on. In fact, I've given the title for today's message, Looking Closer at the Tribulation. And so as we do that, let's just start where we typically start. Let's define some terms. The first thing, the term that we want to define is the word tribulation. Now, the word tribulation is used throughout the Bible, right? It literally just means severe affliction. That's what it means. Uh, in the Bible, it's associated with persecution. It's associated with suffering. It's associated with trouble, okay? So anytime you define the term, you look in the Bible how it's used, it's used throughout. And the fact is, is that people have had tribulation. People have had suffering. People have had trouble as long as people have had sin, right? And so certainly that term is a very broadly used term. But the next thing we want to define is the time. Defining the time is, we'll add the article, the definite article, the, to tribulation. The tribulation is a definite time frame, okay? And because there have been tribulations throughout all of time, right, Jesus Christ himself specifically differentiates a special and specific time frame, and he calls it great tribulation. And we see that he does that to have it stand apart and distinct from regular tribulation, average tribulation, if you will, that all of us go through. And so last week we spent a good bit of time in Matthew chapter 24. The context is this time of tribulation. And he says in Matthew 24 and verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation. And just to make sure you don't confuse it with tough times we might be going through, he goes on and he says, Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. So the idea is, is this particular time called Great Tribulation is unique. It's far and away worse than anything anyone has ever experienced before. In the Old Testament, it's prophesied of a lot of different times, a lot of different ways. One particular one I want to show you is in Jeremiah chapter 30. And we're going to read seven verses, the first seven verses of Jeremiah chapter 30, where this time frame is referred to specifically as the time, so it's a time frame, the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's important because you need just to remember that Jacob is Israel. So it's the time of Israel's trouble. We'll revisit that in a second. Let me read Jeremiah 30, starting in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. That ought to get your attention, by the way. Does a man travail with child? 
Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? We saw last time how the woman in travail is a picture of Israel in the tribulation. And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day, the day of the Lord, that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. The time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. If we look back over here, this time is the time of Jacob's or Israel's trouble, the tribulation. But Israel shall be saved out of it when they enter into the millennium. And this is exactly what we see the Apostle Peter preaching in Acts chapter 3 in verses 19 and 20, where it says, Repent ye therefore, his audience is Jewish, and be converted, why? That your sins may be blotted out. Okay, we would preach the gospel that way, repent and be converted that your sins be blotted out, but this is a different audience and so there's different specifics. It goes on and it says that your sins may be blotted out when? When the times of refreshing shall come, when's that going to happen? From the presence of the Lord. Isn't that clear? So Israel is going to have their own time of unique trouble, devastating trouble. The presence of the Lord at the second coming is going to see all of Israel then be saved. That's actually something we've studied in Romans Chapter 11, from the presence of the Lord, verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which, was, which before was preached unto you. So we understand the context, we understand the terminology. Uh, for those of you Bible students, you also know that there's a key phrase that's used throughout in the Bible when referring to the tribulation, and it's those days, those days. And so a lot of you know what that is, and, and you'll see that throughout in prophecy. Anyways, this time frame of great tribulation represents the final few years immediately prior to the literal, physical, bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we just saw on the graph. The literal second advent is immediately preceded by this time period called the tribulation time. Now, we're going to get into some stuff, okay? And it's going, to, it's going to be serious Bible study. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. So in order to be able to pull this off in one less than an hour message, uh, I'm going to need for you to work with me a little bit. That means that I'm going to need to make some assumptions. I'm not, I don't have time to prove these assumptions. Most of you, many of you, already know these assumptions are true and if we had time or if you want to ask we can prove them because they are true but I have to just declare them they're going to be the givens by from which we build okay and so these assumptions are are these since there is clearly a specific time period referred to as the tribulation and this is our closer look at the tribulation okay because that exists um, here's some of the assumptions this tribulation period reveals the work of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is referred to as the man of sin or the son of perdition. He becomes the devil incarnate. Okay, so that this tribulation time is the, the revealing of the work of the Antichrist. Uh, the rapture of the church is before the beginning of the tribulation. So that's an assumption, okay, that we're going to work off of. That's provable. It's not our subject today. Revelation 4.1, the book of Revelation lays out some of those things. That means, that's important because that means that the entirety of the tribulation is yet future. Why? Because we're the church and we're still here. Okay, so the entirety of the tribulation is yet future. Uh, the tribulation is indeed God's judgment 
on an unbelieving world where the wrath of God is poured out in this world. We'll be seeing some of that in the book of Revelation today. Uh, the tribulation is to restore Israel as God's people. Remember, it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. It's the time of Israel's trouble, right? And God is going to use that to restore Israel, who's been blinded for 2,000 years, to come back home. And the tribulation ends directly at the event of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. Now, apologies that we can't get into details. Those are all wonderful, fun things to study. Uh, but that would take weeks to do. And uh, today I just want to give you a framework from which we can work and understand. So, so hang with me, okay? I've got some place I'm going and there's a specific conclusion I'm trying to get at. And the specific conclusion I'm trying to get at, now last week the title was, you know, are you ready for the rapture? So the idea is if the rapture immediately precedes the tribulation, and, and if we can get an idea about when the hard stop is on the second coming, we subtract off the tribulation. We're going to look closer at the tribulation so that ultimately we get a better idea of when this is happening. Because for us, this is the most important thing, right? When are we going out? That's the most important thing. So this is the goal, the timing of the rapture of the church. And in order to get a bead on the timing of the rapture of the church, it may seem odd, but what we're going to do is we're going to go back into the Old Testament and we're going to look at the greatest prophecy in all of the Old Testament concerning timing, the timing of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. And that timing and that one prophecy in Daniel 9 actually refers to his first coming and his second coming. Okay, so it actually lays it all out. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we're just going to be reading the last four verses of Daniel chapter 9. This is really the, the meat and potatoes as we get into this thing. Now to give you some context get building up to this, um, Daniel is in captivity He's in, they came out of Babylon, they're actually led by Media and Persia, and what we have is the very end of the captivity. Daniel has now read in the book of Jeremiah, he has seen that Jeremiah prophesied there's only 70 years. Daniel is able to count the years, he knows that they're end of the 70 years, and he realizes that Israel's about to be restored to go back home. And so with that context, Daniel begins to pray. And as Daniel is praying through chapter 9, his prayer is actually interrupted when God sends the angel Gabriel down to send an answer to Daniel's prayer. And so the answer that Gabriel delivers is this that we're going to be reading, okay? We're all good? So we're going to start in verse number 24 of Daniel 9, and we're going to go to verse 27. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. 
and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now there's a lot of things going on in here, and we're going to go down one by one and kind of break it down and give you some understanding. Let's pray and ask God for some wisdom and understanding because, well, because we need it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you ask us to ask for wisdom when we need it and understanding, and so that's what we're doing. Um, this prophecy is critically important, and you spoke in some specific terms, but yet not so clear as for us to actually put a date on it necessarily. We need to study. You've commanded us to study. You've given us the tools to study. Your Holy Word, it's perfect. Thank you. Your Holy Spirit, He's perfect. Thank you. And now, Lord, we need your mind. We need it to be active in our minds, and we pray that you would help us. You'd open our eyes. Lord, in your word, you often say that there are certain truths that are sealed up until the time of the end, and well, Lord, we believe we're at the time of the end, and maybe you can unseal some of those for some of us to understand a little better what exactly is coming and what is right around the corner. And so as we realize these things, I pray that you would help each and every one of us make whatever decision we need to make concerning our personal and particular position and relationship with you based on what we will learn today. Because if these things are not practical, they're nothing. And so thank you for loving us enough to give it to us. I pray that you'd help us to understand it throughout. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. A couple of main things that we're going to look at. This prophecy deals with a lot of different things, and it's a timeline for sure. Uh, But what it really gives us are a bunch of events. And so that's our first main point we're going to look at is we need to mark the events that are described in this prophecy. Again, arguably the most important prophecy in all the Bible concerning the time of the end and most certainly the timing of it. And clearly this prophecy is directed to Israel. We already said the time of Jacob's trouble. It says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel, that's Israel, and upon thy holy city, that's Jerusalem. So understand the context of the prophecy. Seventy weeks are determined upon Israel, right? And it is a timeline. And there's 70 weeks. Now, we have to let the Bible define the Bible. We can't make up terms. We can't just say a week means seven days like we say it means. The word week, as it's used in the Bible, literally means a seven. That's what it means. Seventy weeks literally means 70 sevens. And it could be sevens of anything, Seven days make a week of days. Seven years make a week of years. And that's literally what's being addressed here. It's not without precedent in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 29, uh, we have in verse 27 where Laban says to Jacob, when Jacob wants to marry Rachel, he worked seven years for Rachel, and then Laban did the switcheroo and gave him Leah. And that had to have been a weird day. Okay, and then he's like, but I still want Rachel. And he says to him in Genesis 29, 27, fulfill her week. And we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve for me, yet seven other, here it is, years. So the week is defined as seven years. So 70 weeks is 70 sevens of years or 400 and 90 years total. Again, a little bit of math, sorry. You got your kids at home, if they're, you know, school age, ask them to help you. Okay, verse 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Notice, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, 
and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, when we look at this, that, those, so those 70 weeks are going to come all the way through until the ultimate end. We already saw that the salvation of Israel is at the presence of the Lord. 70 weeks, 490 years They're going to come to the very end and the consummation and the total forgiveness of sins. So the prophecy takes you to this point right here on the graph, okay? It takes you to the time of the second coming. And so the timeline is marked with key particular events in history. And identifying those events properly, well, that's going to help you determine exactly when God's stopwatch is running and when it stops again, and when it starts again, okay? And, and ultimately, when time runs out. So let's look at a couple of these. The first one is the starting event. Letter A in the notes that I've prepared anyway. Letter A is the starting event, and that's the commandment. It says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. So there had to have been a commandment to go forth and to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem. And actually... In this point, once again, we're, we're starting off, you know, kind of skating over some details for uh, uh, conciseness sta- sake or efficiency's sake. Uh, but the idea is uh, there are different calculations, there are different kings that made different decrees and made different commands at different times in history. And so this is where sometimes people disagree. And so the idea is, which decree by which king at which date of history started the clock. But just remember that the context is the time after the Babylonian Persian captivity, right? Because that's where Daniel is in this time of history. And listen, a detailed lesson on history on its own, well, that's a whole nother study that would probably take another hour and, and we could run a lot of dates and study the lives of several kings at that time and do all the math that it takes to figure it out. But, but for speed and brevity's sake, let me just cut to the chase with you on this point. We'll dig down on some other points, okay? Let me cut to the chase with you on this point. A few of the options are this. Was it King Cyrus at 536 B.C.? That's one option. Was it King Darius at 520 B.C.? That's another option. Was it King Artaxerxes? And there's a couple of different things that can be referenced to him. Would it have been at 465 B.C. or would it have been at 453 B.C.? And actually you find the one that I believe is the right one in Nehemiah chapter 2. And you can read the first eight or ten verses of Nehemiah chapter 2 where Artaxerxes ultimately makes that decree. And in the beginning of Nehemiah 2 it says that it was in the 20th year of his reign. And when did he reign? And he reigned with his father, and then he reigned on his own. Again, these are the details I'm sparing you today, okay? At the end of the day, what we're going to see is, and we'll go back over here. Maybe I wrote this a little small, but it's the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And there's several options, 536, 524, 65, 453. Uh, which one is it? You know, what? it's going to be 453. And so this is where we're going to land, okay? Let me just help you with that. And and ask questions later. Okay, but it's important to understand that that is the starting point. The starting point is the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And uh, then we go to the next event. Okay, let's move on. The next event then is the coming, the actual coming of the Lord. So it says, from that time, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 
unto the Messiah, the Prince. Okay, so the clock is going to continue going until the Messiah, the Prince. It'll be seven weeks and three score in two weeks. I'm walking back and forth a lot. Okay, so seven weeks, three score is 60, and two weeks until Messiah, the Prince. So somewhere in the life of Jesus Christ, we've got 69 weeks. If it's a week of years, then 69 times 7 is 483. We did the math for you. Okay, homeschooling has been a challenge. I know everybody's tired. Okay, so when we look at this, we have 69 weeks. Jesus Christ comes. It's referenced, this event is referenced at the end of 69 weeks, 483 years. One of the reasons why we didn't go with the earlier decrees is there wasn't enough years. 483 years, you'd still be way back here somewhere, see? So you could get one of these last two from Artaxerxes and... We'll see that in a minute. Okay, so when we look at that, right, then we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 9 because Daniel chapter 9 doesn't specifically say exactly when in the life of Jesus Christ he's talking about. It just says, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah, no, that says be cut off, excuse me, verse 25, unto the Messiah the Prince, seven weeks, three score and two weeks. Okay, it just says that that's when it's going to be. Okay, we understand that Jesus is the Messiah, but when exactly is he referring to? Is he referring to his birth? I mean, that's when he came. Uh, is it referring to his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? Um, that's what a lot of people think. Those are two of the popular teachings, right? Um, so, you know, these are some of the things that people think about. Well, there's a couple of keys that are going to help you nail down exactly what he's talking about. And the first key is that he uses the word Messiah. The first key is that he uses the word Messiah. Now, that word Messiah is actually only used four times in your Bible. And two of them are right here in Daniel chapter 9, and the other two are in the Gospel of John. Okay? And uh, it's interesting because he didn't choose to say that unto my coming or unto the coming of my son... He chose to say, unto the Messiah, the Prince. That's how he chose to word it. And some of you may already know, but the word Messiah is the Hebrew word that literally means anointed. That's what it means. The Greek equivalent of the word anointed would be Christ. So certainly we're talking about Jesus Christ. There's no question about it. But the, the wording of Daniel 9 is basically saying that from the going forth of the commandment, unto the anointed. Unto the anointed is going to be 69 weeks. So this gives us the question, when was Jesus anointed? That's a question that we need to look at. And thankfully, we have an answer. Was it at his birth? Was it at the triumphal entry? Turn to Acts chapter 10 and look with me in verses 36 to 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 36 says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, 
for God was with him. Do you see what God just told you right there? God told you the timing of Jesus Christ's anointing was at the time of John's baptism. It was at the time that the Holy Ghost came down upon him in a bodily form. It was at the time that began to usher in his public ministry doing good and healing all matter of sickness and disease and those oppressed with the devil. Jesus receives his anointing. Jesus receives his, if we can use this term, messiahship at his public baptism. That's when the Holy Ghost ascended. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open and the Holy Ghost ascended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So I drew this out so you could see it. From the going forth of the commandment unto the Messiah, the Prince. When did that happen? He became the Messiah, the Anointed. It says at 30 years of age. That's when his baptism was. And it says when he began to be at 30 years of age, which actually leads us to understand that he probably got baptized on his birthday. So right when he became 30, which would have been in the fall at the Feast of Tabernacles, would have been when he was baptized and when he began his public ministry. So we have the 483 years from the going forth of the commandment, which had to have been 453, right? And we're going to come through this until age 30. The math works out. 483 years takes you to 30 A.D. Jesus' baptism. So we're on solid ground up until this point, right? We can see how the whole thing comes together. That's the Messiah. Well, the next key is the other part of the term. It's the prince. The Messiah, the prince. And often Daniel 9 is taught to reference that this coming of Messiah the Prince, that's his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just days before his crucifixion. But listen, friends, when you go and you look up these references, you find that that day that he entered triumphantly, right, on, on the donkey, and they laid the palm branches down, right, that, that day he wasn't declared to be the prince. He was declared to be the king. And there is a difference, because in Matthew 21, 4 and 5, it says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that's a reference to Zechariah 9, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And by the way, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem in that day, on that donkey, there's nothing said anywhere that he was anointed at that time. No, the anointing came at the baptism, see? And so unto the Messiah, the Prince, the timeline is going to take you to 30 A.D. 30 A.D. Now there's one other event that I want you to see as we look into this in verse 26 in Daniel 9, and I'm calling that the great event, and that's the crucifixion. The great event is the crucifixion because it goes on in verse 26 and it says, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Notice that. After three score and two weeks, at some point after, he'll be cut off. Well, when was he cut off? He was cut off when he was crucified. And it says, but not for himself. 
because he died for us. He didn't die for himself. I mean, that's, that's worth the button. Listen, that's worthy. So, at some point after, does, does it say how long after? No, it doesn't say how long after. But it says after the 62 weeks, Messiah was cut off. So, this works so far, right? We're good. This works so far. That is good stuff. Amen. Okay. What's the point? Well, the thing I want you to understand is the 62 weeks, well, the 69 weeks, don't go completely to the crucifixion. They have to stop before the crucifixion because it says after the 62 weeks, he's cut off. Okay, now, let's just summarize what we've got so far. 69 weeks are completed during the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that we know that there's one more week left. That 70th week still is left. We know that some of the events in Daniel 9 are still yet future. We know that because we haven't had the consummation of all things yet. And we know that the entire prophecy deals with Israel. We know that. It doesn't deal with the church. Okay? So without question, some of it is still future, right? But it doesn't deal with the church, so there's going to be a pause in the middle. There's one more week left. Daniel's 70th week, referred to over and over again by Bible students. So in order to dive into this now, our second main point of study, measure the evidence. We have to do some measuring. We have to figure out how long things last. And what we're going to do in this, in this part of the study is we're going to kind of bookend it, okay? We kind of came at the front end with the 483 years, and before we land exactly where that 70th week goes, I hope you're tracking with me, we're going to kind of come at it from the other end. And when we get to the middle, I think we're going to have some conclusions. We're going to have some understanding of exactly how we can put this all together. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at what we know to be true about the tribulation and see if we can piece some of these details all together. The question is, how long exactly does the tribulation last? How long does the tribulation last? That is the question we're going to be addressing. So when we look at this thing of the tribulation... You know, we typically thought it was seven. We'll, we'll consider that. But how long exactly does it last? That's our question. That's what we need to take a closer look at, okay? Exactly how long is that? And the reason why that's important is because if we can determine with fair certainty how long the tribulation lasts, again, that backs off of the second coming date to give us a better idea of the date of the rapture or at least an estimated bracketing of the time of the rapture of the church, which we believe is very, very soon. So when we're looking at that hard stop at 2028, again, you take off seven, that's 2021 or 2020. If it's something less than that, well, then maybe there's a little more time for us yet going forward, right? So we saw, by the way, if you, if you didn't know this before, if we didn't mention it, 1948 plus 80 equals 2028. That's the idea. And the generation is either 70 to 80. We're already 2020. We're at the 72nd birthday of Israel this year. So we're already kind of into borrowed time as far as that prophecy from Matthew 24 goes. So that's important. Okay, so historically, Baptist churches have taught that the tribulation lasts seven years. 
And that's letter A in our study, seven years. And that's taken from Daniel chapter 9, typically, right? We've heard this teaching, most of us, most of our lives. If you've been in a Baptist church that even tries to teach the Bible, you've probably heard that the tribulation is a seven-year period. I mean, if you're a dispensationalist, you've heard that at least. And so generally what has been taught is, is that you have 69 weeks that come up to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a pause. And the 70th week is still yet future. That's the general understanding of how that plays out so that the entirety of the 70th week is yet still to be fulfilled. Okay, so let's go back to Daniel chapter 9 again and let's relook again, jumping in at verse number 26, kind of in the middle. And it says, And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined, and he, that's the prince that shall come, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There you go. That's the one week of years. That's seven years, right? And in the midst of the week, so something's going to happen in the middle, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined, shall be poured upon the desolate. A lot of a lot of graphic language about things that, you know, you're going to take some time to dive into and understand fully. Even all of those details we can't get all to today. Nevertheless, let's define some of them. The prince that shall come is not the Lord Jesus Christ. The prince that shall come is the Antichrist. It's the man of sin. It's the son of perdition. How do you know that? Well, you know it for a couple of different reasons. One, he's playing a bad role here, by the way. One of the ways is that it's written with a small p, because when it said the Messiah, the capital P, Prince, it's clearly distinguished differently. So here we have the small pre, the Prince P, the Prince that shall come. This is the Antichrist. This is the man of sin. This is the son of perdition. And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Man, y'all, I've been studying this thing now for the last several weeks, and I... I want to get into stuff that we just can't, we just can't. We're going to do do weeks to come, okay, but we, it, let me say this, let me say this, I can't help myself, I'm going off script, I know. It does not say he shall make a covenant for one week. It does not say he will establish a covenant for one week, unless you read a different English Bible. It says he shall confirm the covenant. You see, the covenant already exists, and he just recognizes that it exists. And actually, we don't have time for this either, but the covenant is God's covenant with Abraham to give the Jews their land, okay? So the Antichrist will show up and recognize that the Jews deserve their land. It's their land given to them by God. All right, back on script. Since it says in Daniel 9 that he shall come, It's frequently taught that it's all yet future. And typically because we in the church age think that he has not yet come, we ascribe the entirety of Daniel's 70th week to the tribulation time and estimating that it's a seven-year period of time. This is the logic. This is the way that we typically think about that. But the problem with this view is this. There's exactly no Bible reference, none, zero, that directly connects the tribulation as stated 
with Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week is absolutely biblically clear. There is going to be a seven-year period that continues forward after 69. And there is, without a doubt, a pause at some point. But if you're looking for that reference that says this great tribulation is the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, you will not find it. it. You will not find it. Is it possible that the tribulation in its entirety, in its entire duration, is not a seven-year-long period? You know, it's interesting that God does make sure that we're aware in this narrative back in Daniel. When he talks about that last one week, he does make a point of pointing out that something's going to happen in the midst of the week. That 70th week is going to be divided in half. And isn't that interesting? Because there actually is a specific time duration that is associated with the tribulation period. And it's repeated over and over and over again. And this would be letter B in your study. If you see on the screen the notes that the next time period that we're going to consider is just three and a half years. And we're going to look at that from the book of Revelation. So let's take a closer look at the tribulation. This is our title. Take a closer look at this period of time from the place that it is best, most fully described in all the Bible. And that would be Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And in Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19, you have four specific accounts of the tribulation that overlap. They run parallel. You have the vials, you have the seals, you have the trumpets, and you have the fall of Babylon. And there are four separate accounts that overlap one another. And you say, well, that sounds crazy. Well, why should it sound crazy? God's consistent. You have four separate accounts of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And God is consistent. And he gave you four accounts of his first coming. He's going to give you four accounts of his second coming. And that's Revelation 6 through Revelation 19. And there is one frame of reference concerning time that is consistently referred to in Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, and that time frame is three and a half years. It's always three and a half years. Let me lay it out for you. Revelation chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot, notice, for forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Well, 42 months. That's three years, 36, and six more. That's three and a half years. 1,203 score or 60 days. If you have a 30-day month, like in the Jewish calendar, the lunar year, that's exactly three and a half years. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. There it is again. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So a time and 
times and a half a time is three and a half. Three and a half years. We also see that in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 7 where it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. And we shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. All these things shall be finished. That's not all. Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 5. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. You think we're getting the hang of it yet? You think the Lord wants us to understand how long this tribulation is actually going to last? He wants us to understand and know that the events described in the book of Revelation last three and a half years. That's how long they last. They last three and a half years. And he also wants us to know that Daniel's 70th week has a distinct marker right in the middle. In the midst of the week, something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. So, let's, let's make this a little bigger. So this is, if we say this is Daniel's 70th week, right, then there's three and a half on the front, and there's three and a half on the back, right? And we know that this part right here, right, is the second coming. We know that, right? And we know then also what this event is right here. This is the event that is often referred to as the abomination. I'm going to abbreviate, sorry. The abomination of desolation. And this is what we read about in Daniel 9.27. This is literally what he's talking about. So you have the event that kicks off the midst of the week in verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. Jesus Christ refers to this abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 15 and 16, where he says, When ye shall therefore, when ye therefore shall see, it's something they'll be able to see. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, etc., etc., like we read in Revelation. So from the, when the Jews see the abomination of desolation, they better run because the three and a half years that we read about in Revelation is about to be unleashed. And that's what they're saying. And what do we know about this thing? Well, we know that the daily sacrifice and the rebuilt Jewish temple is going to be caused to be ceased and that the sanctuary is going to be polluted with an abomination. You can actually go to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31 and you can kind of see the same thing. It's actually right here. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. Daniel 11 and verse 31. And arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And so there's something that's going to happen in the very temple, in the very holy place, that is an abomination to God. 
that will ultimately cause the Jews and everybody to flee and all of the temple and all of Jerusalem then becomes desolate because they're running for their lives. And Jesus refers to it specifically, the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. Paul refers to it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, giving us a little bit of light in verse number 4. We don't have time for 2 Thessalonians 2 today, but he refers to it this way. Whoso opposeth, he's talking about this man of sin, the son of perdition, whoso opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this Antichrist is going to have won the hearts and the minds of the world and ultimately he's going to step into the Jewish sanctuary in the temple and, and stand and, and literally go through the rites of the Levitical priesthood and sit down in the throne and declare himself to be Jesus Christ. And the Jews are going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, you know, we, we thought you were cool until now. Sorry. And they're going to run. And he's going to be furious. And the devil, and there's going to be this wrath of God poured out and this persecution like no man has ever seen before. Now, the argument against the idea that the entirety of the tribulation is only three and a half years, just to be fair, is that this person the man of sin, the prince that shall come. Well, he's yet to come. And if he's going to confirm the covenant for one week, that's seven years. And he hasn't come yet, right? That's what I would ask. Well, what if? What if the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, what if he's already come? What if he's already come? Do you know that during Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, the son of perdition was here? His name's Judas Iscariot. And in John chapter 17 and verse number 12, Jesus said himself, While I was with them in the, this is his high priestly prayer, he's praying to the Father in the garden, you know John 17. While I was with them in the world, Father, I kept them in my name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas Iscariot. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Every word of God is pure. God chose the specific words to, so that you could put together what you otherwise might not understand. You see, the son of perdition's already been here. I mean, what if... The first half of Daniel's 70th week was actually the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how long did that last? Well, no shocker, three and one half years. We know that the 69... I'll be honest with you, I'm not actually sure why he divided 7 and 62. I'm currently unaware... I'll confess to you, that there's anything special about the seven. There probably is. I just don't know it yet. And then 62. But we know that the time ran continuously. Seven rolled right into 62, which meant 69 continued. What would make you think it wouldn't just continue? You know the church age is a mystery. 
right, revealed to Paul much later, you know that when all these prophecies that saw the first and second coming together as one because, well, there didn't have to be a church age. So if the clock was ticking, well, don't you know, something happened in the middle of the week. Israel rejected their Messiah once and for all at the crucifixion. And God turned to the Gentiles. And when God turned to the Gentiles, it was no longer Israel. And when it's no longer Israel, the clock stopped. And when the clock stopped, it's got to start up again. And so what if, what if the entirety of the tribulation is only three and a half years? What about that? What if this was already done a long ago? And what if the rapture is actually here? You say, oh, Jeff, you're a mid-tribber. No, no, no. Now listen. Listen. You better get your words straight because I'm not saying that. You're only saying that because you're, you've been taught your whole life that the tribulation is equivalent to Daniel's 70th week. The Bible never says that. Never. It never says the, the tribulation is equivalent to Daniel's 70th week. It says there's tribulation. In fact, if we want to be the most biblical in our terminology... Jesus Christ refers to it as great tribulation. It's actually the only time it's ever termed except the time of Jacob's trouble and great tribulation. Those of us good Baptists, we've always said this is the tribulation and the second half is the great tribulation. Since when do we get an entirely new period of time because we add an adjective? What about the millennium being the day of the Lord? What about where it's referred to in the Old Testament as the great and terrible day of the Lord? Is that a different millennium? No, it's not. It's not at all. What if, just saying, what if, it's only three and a half years? It's something to consider. I mean, it's certainly something worth thinking about, isn't it? And why would that be important? Well, it's going to be important for the very reason why we set out to study at all. I mean, we're living in these days and I, and I feel the, the responsibility to share with you what I see as I study and you can make up your own decisions for yourself. But last week we did a fair amount of work to kind of give you the idea that 2028 is a, as good of an estimation as we can come with using the scripture to define the fig tree put forth her leaves began to be a national entity this generation shall not pass until all things be fulfilled takes you to 2028. And if it's going to be 2028 in the fall at the Feast of Tabernacles, when the Lord, the Lord always comes at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord came the first time at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in September. I know, enjoy Christmas, enjoy yourself. I don't care. But that's not when his birthday was. It was in the fall. And if, it's the, if it happens to be the maximum stop date in the fall of 2028, you back up three and a half years, well, now you're looking at the springtime of 2025. And by the way, that's, that's the max. If that number is right, it can't go past there. Now, there's always, God's always got a curveball. But let me tell you, you can be pretty confident 
that the second coming, like the first coming, is going to be in the fall. You can be pretty confident that the rapture is not in the fall, it's in the spring. And we see that, among other places, we see that in Song of Solomon, chapter number 2, verses 10 and 11, and, well, 10 through 13. It's a picture. Solomon, one of the greatest types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, the Shulamite, the love of loves. And, and so this is a love song, and it's a picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Song of Solomon 2, verse number 10. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Hear the words of the Lord to you, church. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. What time of year is that? And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. And we're out. And it's the springtime. And it's the springtime. And the springtime of 2025 would take you three years to the springtime of 2028 and half a year. And it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, y'all, there are some crazy things going on in the world today right now. And back yes, last week we saw in Revelation 3 that if you won't watch, this thing will overtake you like a thief. Which leads us to think if you will watch, it won't overtake you like a thief. You can know the times and the seasons. And can I tell you, Christian, if you know that you're saved, there's no need to panic. This is the love song. This is the Lord taking us home. You're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Don't worry about the chips and everything else that they might implant in your hand. I'm not telling you to do it, and I'm not telling you not to. Do what you want. I'm just telling you, you're eternally secure in Jesus Christ. He has given us the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Remember that the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So you know what we need to be doing, Christian? We need to be making hay while the sun's shining. We need to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to give certain people maybe their very last chance opportunity to know. And can I talk to you if by chance you happen to be listening and you don't know 100% for sure that you have a home in heaven? Let it be today. Let it be right now, right where you're at. And if you're listening to this message, driving in a car, pull off on the side in a safe spot, turn the car off, bow your head, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've been in church your whole life and you're just not sure you're saved, be sure, get it right. Because we don't know if this is true. These dates are the max dates. It could be sooner. It could be this spring. The rains aren't quite over yet, are they? It could be. Let me pray for us, and we'll sing one last song together. Heavenly Father,